0: And he may have some extra bonus thoughts from time to time. So grab a cup of coffee as we start the week together on Monday Morning Coffee with Mark.
1: Good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Monday Morning Coffee podcast for October the 11th. Happy Columbus Day. Hope that you are having a great day. Maybe you're off work. Maybe you're going to the state fair. Maybe you're just enjoying some time off. Whatever you're doing today, I hope it will be blessed and helped by this podcast. I'm Mark. I've got my Bible open, and I'm ready to think with you a little bit about yesterday's sermon and how to integrate that into your life effectively and prepare you for the week in daily Bible reading. I'm coming off a great week. Last week at the Campbell Road Church of Christ, I preached a special series there called Recharge, to help us recharge after 20 months of so much drain and fatigue and weariness and difficulty. And I'll give a shout-out to that great congregation. They were tremendously encouraging and very receptive to the Word of God preached. And you can find those lessons on their website and on their Facebook page. But right now, it's time to think about yesterday at Westside. So good to be home and to be where I belong. And yesterday I preached from 1 Samuel chapter 23. So pour that cup of coffee, and let's talk about being like David. Yesterday's sermon was about being like David, but I want to take a moment and say, don't be like Saul. If you've got your Bible open to 1 Samuel chapter 23, just look at all the things that are going wrong in Saul's life and with Saul's kingship and leadership. He is unrealistic, and he is completely deluding himself. In verse 7, he says, God has given David into my hand. That is completely not true, and he knows better than that. He seems to have lost any sense of, of being the shepherd of God's people, but instead he plans to attack an entire city. Verse 8, he summoned all the people to war to go down to Keilah. This is reminiscent of what he did to the city of Nob. Then he even uses the Lord's name in vain. In verse 21, when the Ziphites say they'll turn David over, he says, may you be blessed by the Lord. Hey, God isn't blessing that Saul, and you know that. In fact, Jonathan even says, verse 17, The hand of my, Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, knows this. Perhaps worst of all, Saul neglects the nation to pursue his own agenda of killing David. Verse 27, a messenger comes and says, Hurry, the Philistines are raiding the land. So Saul is off chasing David for his own nefarious purposes, and neglecting the nation, neglecting his people. Don't be like Saul. Instead, we want to be like David, and those points yesterday were simple. David consults with God. He wants to know God's will. We don't consult with God exactly the same way as David did, of course, but we want to know the will of God. David focuses on others. David has godly companions, and David is always giving God the credit For everything that happens. So let me build out this idea of being like David with two more thoughts to help you. First and foremost, let me just say this. You've got to do stuff if you're going to get to do stuff. That comes from verse 1. They told David, behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and they are robbing the threshing floors. Nobody told Saul. They came to David. Why? Because David had defeated Goliath, David had then led the armies of Israel into battle against the Philistines. David had shown himself to be the kind of man who could take initiative and who could do and who could help in this kind of situation. Meanwhile, Saul has completely embarrassed himself by being a coward in the Goliath situation, not leading Israel into battle. David does that instead. And then in the chapter that we studied last month, 1 Samuel chapter 22, He murders, massacres a bunch of priests in the city of Nob. Nobody wants to be around someone like Saul, but when you show yourself faithful like David does, more people are going to show up and say, Hey, could you be faithful in this activity? Would you help us in this? Could we serve the Lord with you in doing that? Sometimes people get their feelings hurt because they weren't asked to do this, or they didn't get tasked with that. And what I'd want to say about that is, the more you do in the kingdom of God, the more you show yourself to be a servant and to have a heart for God, the more opportunities you will get. Saul's getting less, David's getting more. The second thing that I'd want to say is we just need to realize in our life, there's going to be ziphites. You remember these Ziphites, verse 19? The Ziphites went to Saul, and they said, Is not David hiding among us? They give David up. They sell him out. And in our world, we're going to encounter Ziphites, people who sell us out, who betray us, who hurt us, who try to pull us down. The answer to that is we need some Jonathans. That's, again... Verse 17, maybe verse 16, Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David and strengthened his hand in God. Ziphites hurt us, weaken us if they can, so we're going to need some Jonathans to build us up and strengthen our hand in God. That person in your life who's functioning as a Jonathan may not be the coolest person or the most popular person or the person who's wealthy and dresses in the latest fashions. It may not be the person who has a giant following on Instagram or Facebook. But if you have someone in your life who is serious about following God, And whenever you're around them, they just make you into a better servant of God. They encourage you. Their example raises the bar for you. If you're around a Jonathan, then what you need to do is say, hey, look, that's Jonathan for me, and I want to be around that person more. You want to say to that person, let's get coffee. You want to say to that person, Let's get lunch. You want to say to that person, I'm facing a decision. What do you think God wants me to do in this situation? Ziphites are such a drag, but Jonathans are such a lift. Get some Jonathans, they help you cope with and overcome the Ziphites in this world. Well, there you go. There's some thoughts from yesterday's preaching. Oh, I got to tell you, it was really nice to be back in the pulpit at Westside. Where I, I just feel like I belong there. Where I want to be so very much. Wonderful to be with you, and to think about First Samuel chapter twenty-three. Let's put away the Old Testament now and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Let's talk about daily Bible reading for this week. Let's jump into our daily Bible reading from the Gospel of Matthew. We're reading Matthew chapter 10 and 11. Nice, clean, sharp edges this week. And this really is a section where there's lots about Jesus' authority. Remember in chapter 8, we were reading this last week. In chapter 8, actually I think this is even maybe the week before, the faith of the centurion in 8.5, where he says, I'm a man of authority authority. And that then translates over into chapter 9 in verse 6, where Jesus heals the paralyzed man and says the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And verse 8 says that the crowd glorified God who had given such authority to men. Now, In chapter 10, which we're going to read the first 15 verses of today on Monday, we get more about Jesus' authority. He has authority in word, verses 5, 6, and 7, and authority in deeds, verses 8 and 9. And we're even going to see Jesus delegating that authority here as he sends out the 12 apostles. So we get, for the first time in Matthew, the list of the apostles' names. An apostle technically is one sent with authority, and the term isn't really a special term in New Testament times just for the 12 men that Jesus selected. It's used widely in the New Testament. It can mean a messenger, like in John 13, verse 16. Jesus is even said to be an apostle in Hebrews 3, verse 1. Some preachers are referred to in that way in Romans 16, 7. Usually, however, in the Bible, it's going to mean the 12 apostles, 12 probably coming from the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament. He is continuing God's work in the new Israel. So he sends them out, verse 5, and I think that really does prepare the way for what's going to happen at the close of the book in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. And they go only to Israel. Really, the Gentiles that we have seen so far who have come to Jesus have come of their own initiative, and Jesus really is the Savior of Israel first. Furthermore, it would really stir up a lot of bad feelings if they went to the Gentiles. So this is going to be the mission, and this is how the mission is going to be conducted. We'll see that repeated in the book of Acts, of course. It's the Jews first, the Gospels to the Jew first, and then the Gentiles. On Tuesday... We continue in chapter 10. We're reading verses 16 to 33. And what we read yesterday and on Monday really expects a good reception. Most of this now doesn't sound nearly so kind. And we're really getting into the instructions Jesus is giving to the apostles. Notice ten five; these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them. And then in chapter 11 and verse 1, when Jesus had finished instructing his disciples. So this really is what the apostles need to know, and Jesus is looking at a time when the break between the church and the synagogue is going to be final, Christians aren't going to be tolerated or allowed in the synagogues, and there's going to be so much animosity and so much persecution between Jews and between Christians. As you look for some Old Testament connections, please note outside of verse 21, you want to just write maybe in the margin of your Bible, Micah 7 and 6, because that's what Jesus is alluding to there and alludes to again in verses 35 and 36. I will say a word or two to hear about verse 23 when they persecute you flee to the next town for truly I say unto you you will have not gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes well that's a little difficult it sounds like the Son of Man will come before they finish their preaching work well obviously Jesus did not come so what is Jesus referencing here? And there's been a variety of different explanations post, but I think probably the best way to think of this is to think of this in terms of coming in judgment. We'll talk much more about that in Matthew chapter 24, but we've already talked about that this year in Luke in Luke chapter 21 with the destruction of Jerusalem, and the parallel passage in Mark chapter 13. So you're familiar with those kinds of ideas. A coming is not always the second coming, capital T, capital S, capital C. Sometimes God comes in judgment, and I think here Jesus is referencing that, particularly since that judgment on Judea and on the Jews really it really compromised their political power. In Acts, we see them using the Roman authorities For that matter, in the Gospels, they use the Roman authorities to kill Jesus. And then in Acts, we see them manipulate and use Roman authorities to hurt the church. And after the rebellion of AD 67, which culminated in AD 70 with the destruction of Jerusalem, they really are not a political player. You can't be a political player when you've just revolted against the Caesar. So I get that that's a difficult passage, but I think that's probably the very best explanation there. Jesus goes on then to say, don't be afraid, verse 20 and 29, because of God's sovereign providence. Trust in the Lord. Oh, how we need to hear that today. One writer said, people say that God cares about the big things, but not the little details, but Jesus says otherwise. On Wednesday, then, we'll complete this chapter. On Wednesday, we're reading Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 42. And I think we're seeing here some of that common thinking, verse 34, that the Messiah would bring peace, but Jesus is reinforcing that he's going to bring division. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be trials. There's going to be adversity. And if you love your family members, verse 37, more than you love God, you're not going to be able to be a disciple. In fact, verse 38, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. Remember, Taking up the cross was the mark of one who was already as good as dead. It's not tragedy and troubles. No, unbelievers have all of those. Taking up the cross is the unique responsibilities of discipleship where we deny ourselves and do what Jesus wants, even at great personal cost. Notice how that particularly fits the context right here. Then on Thursday, we'll read verses 1 to 19 of chapter 11. And again, mark that transition statement, chapter 11, verse 1, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples. And up to this point, the ministry of Jesus has been quite successful. But there's a change of tone here. There's going to be much more hostility towards Jesus and towards his disciples. But that will not mean the kingdom is not coming. The kingdom is coming despite being attacked and despite being ignored. And in that vein, Jesus gets a question here from a very unexpected quarter. It is John the Baptist who sends to Jesus and says, Hey, I'm not so sure about you. And that really causes people some upset. People get really queasy about that. And I have seen a ton of explanations of how John the Baptist was not really losing faith and why he was doing this, and what it really means, and I think all of that is nonsense. John the Baptist is in prison. Jesus is not busting him out. Jesus is not leading a revolution. Jesus is not leading a rebellion against the Roman authorities who have unjustly imprisoned John. Jesus is not doing the things that a lot of people thought the Messiah was going to be doing. And I believe that in the cauldron of adversity that being in prison was and must have been for someone like John the Baptist, who seems to have lived outdoors and loved it, now he's in a dungeon Uh, I think his faith is rocked. I think he's needing to know, have I made a mistake? Are you really the Messiah? That, it seems to me, is the best explanation and the most natural reading of what's going on here. And what Jesus says, verse 4, is you need to look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. And then in verse 5, he's piecing together Isaiah 29, verses 18 and 19, Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, a little bit of Isaiah 61, 1, to say, hey, John, I am doing the things the Messiah does. And you need to think more carefully about what the Messiah was prophesied to do. And I think that's going to help John, and that ought to help us as well. Verse 12 then is a troubling verse, and in these podcasts, I really like to try to work through things that are difficult or maybe a little bit wrinkly. Let's see if we can iron this out. Verse 12: From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent Take it by force. There's a variety of different translations. I would encourage you to read from different translations. That can be very, very helpful. And there's some very technical issues about the translation, whether it means suffers violence or has been coming violently. There is a tense in New Testament Greek called middle voice, and that would change that translation. We don't even have middle voice like that in English gets pretty complicated in a hurry. I think what I'm just going to say here is probably the best idea is that the kingdom is coming with power. It's forcefully advancing, and what it's going to take is forceful men, courageous people, to press the kingdom forward. But That's hard, and I'm not entirely certain about that. Probably wouldn't want to be dogmatic about that. And and, and that's a pretty different take than what, for example, the English standard has there. Read some other translations and see what you think of that. The reading then for Thursday closes with this business about we played for you and you just won't. Have it. And what Jesus is speaking of here is playing children's games. The girls play the flute, but the boys won't dance. Uh, Men dance at weddings in the Jewish traditions. And then the boys sing a funeral song, but the girls won't cry. Women were in charge of doing the mourning. And what Jesus says is you're just never satisfied. You don't want to play happy and you don't want to play sad. You just can't be satisfied. And that leads then to Jesus saying at the end of verse 19, wisdom is justified by her deeds. And that is also kind of a wrinkly little statement. And maybe what that means is that wisdom is proven right by her actions. And in context, then that would be the actions of Jesus. And so that would show that both by the way Jesus lived and also, of course, in context, by the way John the Baptist lived, they showed the way of right living and the way of God. So wisdom's children here is Jesus and John, what they did. They justify the way of wisdom. They prove that right by how they conducted themselves and how they acted. That takes us to the end of the week on Friday. Let me get another little bit of coffee here. Wonderful coffee. On Friday, we're going to read the end of this chapter, verses 20 to 30, and I will post video on Facebook that will... Uh, work through that reading and do that reading. I'm, I'm not going to do that reading anymore live. I think there's been some misunderstanding about that, that if I don't see it live, it's not going to be there and there's no point to go look for it. And so people are missing that. I'm going to start posting those videos. So on Friday, uh, usually around 10 a.m., that video is going to go up. But for the podcast... I will have you notice here that this is very strong judgment kind of language. In verse 23 that speaks of Capernaum being exalted, no, you're going to be brought down. The mighty works that have been done in Sodom, if if mighty works like this have been done in Sodom, they would have repented and remained. And I think there's something to be said here about judgment being based on opportunity and that when you've been exposed to the teachings and work and life of Jesus the Christ, Capernaum, you're just culpable for more. Maybe those of us who are listening to a podcast and reading our Bible need to consider where that places us. That leads then to one of the most famous set of scriptures anywhere, anytime, the amazing invitation of Jesus Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Verse 28, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. This invitation is found only in Matthew, so that makes it important for us as we read in the Gospel of Matthew. What exactly are the burdens here? All who labor and are heavy laden, verse 28. That is probably Pharisaical Judaism. Jesus will say more about that in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 4. All of the rules and regulations and rituals that they bound on people as if God had given that to Moses and it was part of God's law. All those crazy, tiny, detailed ideas, all of that just wore people out. And Jesus says, that is not what this is about. That is not how we do business with God. I'm bringing something completely different. Take the yoke of discipleship and you can rest. Rest for your souls, verse 29, is directly out of Jeremiah 6 and verse 16. And it's tremendously important that people somehow don't make this into a statement that Jesus is freeing folks from, in some way, being careful in their obedience. No, Jesus is all about obedience. He's the last word in obedience. What Jesus is doing is freeing you and me and the people who are listening there in that day to religion full up of human opinion and human traditions being bound as if they were from God. That's what Jesus says has to go. The way of Christianity, the way of Christ, isn't like that. Be free of that and come Follow Jesus according to his word. Well, thank you for listening. If you love the Monday Morning Coffee podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, follow, and give a review on iTunes or whatever app you're listening to. Or probably best is just to simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out tremendously. So until next time, may your coffee be delightful. May your Monday be short. And may the Lord be with you today, all day. Happy Columbus Day. See you next week.
0: Thanks for listening to the Westside Church of Christ podcast, Monday Morning Coffee with Mark. For more information about Westside, you can connect with us through our website, justchristians.com, and our Facebook page. Our music is from upbeat.io. Upbeat with two P's, U-P-P-D-E-A-T, where creators can get free music. Please share our podcast with others, and we look forward to seeing you again, with a cup of coffee, of course, on next Monday.